welcome to Art of the Score, the podcast that explores, demystifies, and celebrates some of the greatest soundtracks of all time from the world of film, TV, and video games. I'm Andrew Poxon, and in each episode, we'll be joined by Daniel Golding and Nicholas Buck as we check out a soundtrack we love, break down its main themes, explore what makes the score tick, and hopefully impart our love of the world of soundtracks. In episode 17, or episode XVII, we tackle a score from one of the most prolific and sometimes controversial composers of modern cinema, Hans Zimmer, along with Australian composer Lisa Gerrard for their score to Gladiator, directed by Ridley Scott and starring Russell Crowe. Ridley Scott's Gladiator not only sparked a revival of the historical epic movie genre, but it also renewed genuine interest in Roman and classical history, with many authors of historical books referring to the spike in sales as the Gladiator effect. For Zimmer and Gerard, it is a score that evokes music from strange lands, epic battles, romance along with grief and betrayal. And joining me in this musical coliseum is composer, arranger, orchestrator, conductor, and man who continues to decline my invitations to join me at the local Roman baths. It's Nikimus Baximus. It's Nicholas Bach. How are you doing? I'm good. Look, don't take it personally, Andrew, but um, <laughs> my wife doesn't approve. I enjoy. I enjoy a good steam. What can I say? <laughs> I don't blame you. I mean, they're they're great. Those Roman baths. Uh, look, it is fantastic that we finally got to some Hans Zimmer. It is. Um, he's really up there as a. a God amongst film music legends these days. There's no doubt about it. Uh, his influence is profound and wide, and uh, Gladiator is certainly a very important score in in his career. And of course, Nick, we come in threes or I I I. See, you see, I've got some Roman numeral jokes in there like for it. you. That's like really it. good, isn't it? Very good. Um, having lost all his gold, betting heavily on the Christians in their matches versus the Lions, oh dear, um, is writer, critic, composer, university lecturer, and man who does not decline my invites for the baths. It's Danny Lius uh, Goldie Max. <laughs> How you doing, Dan? Strength, Strength Goldie? Strength and honour, Andrew. Strength <laughs> and honour. Um, I think this is going to be, yeah, I agree with Nick. It's about time that we got to a Hans Zimmer uh, being probably the most influential composer doing work today. So uh, it's uh, really, really interesting to look at really one of the scores that put him on the map, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I must admit that, you know, I'd sort of known of Hans Zimmer up until this point, but wasn't really someone that was on the radar in a major way. And I think this film was such a it was a bit of a, a watershed film like yeah. i you know i think for the special effects i think for the the style of score i think for a whole bunch of reasons it was uh you know i remember really being blown away by it you know back in mm. the day and interestingly i bought a uh, dvd player probably in 2000 mm-hmm. i think it was um or 2001 and the first dvd i bought was gladiator and i actually went back and dusted off that old case yeah, wow. and watched gladiator with that original disc and this is something that you might this this will take you back kids um do you remember when dvds used to have 
overly complicated and long opening menus oh, where you used yeah. to have to sit through like a minute and a half <laughs> of yeah. like animation yeah. because at the time it was like, man, this is so much mm. better than my VHS player, mm. which just plays the movie. Mm. Now I get to watch this amazing little animated, you know, menu. This is amazing. So I sat there just yelling at the TV <laughs> going, let me watch this film. Um, anyway, so it was it was great to revisit this, mm. uh, this film and this iconic score. But before we sort of dive too deeply into it, I want to encourage anybody who's um, listening to this episode to uh, like and subscribe, do all of that sort of stuff that you normally do, leave us a review. Um, there's been a bunch of really fantastic people who have written to us with some wonderful emails talking to us about how much they're enjoying the podcast, uh, talking about some of the you know additional things they've found in some of the scores, which we love hearing. Uh, we read absolutely every single one of them. So if you want to write in, uh, you can uh, hit us up on our email address. Nick, what's our email address? It is contact at artofthescore.com.au. Yeah, so get in on the emails. Of course, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and we will be sure to get back to you. Let's let's get on with the episode. Gladiator, Dan, what can you tell us about this film? So it's directed by Ridley Scott from 2000, and Ridley Scott, I'm sure most people will be familiar with, is the director of Blade Runner, Alien, uh, other films that sort of came up after Alien, which, you know, were obviously continuing his interest in medieval or older older era combat with Kingdom of Heaven and Robin Hood as well. Um, so, he's, you know, a really fascinating director and a director that deals well with difficult material, I think. And it sort of came out of this interest in a revival in the sword and sandal sort of genre, the, the epic genre. And this is not before, I mean, this is, this, sorry, this is well before epic just became a generalized descriptor of, <laughs> of, of large scale movies. This is, you know, epic was a genre of films that were large in runtime, large in spectacle, and large in cast, usually. And cost. And cost, absolutely. <laughs> Physical cost, yes. no computers. No. And I mean, that's one of the really fascinating things, actually, about Gladiator is that it's it's really sort of riffing off films like Spartacus and Ben Hur, which was, you know, I mean, there's this still the expression that I think some people are familiar with bigger than Ben Hur for, for today to, to describe something that's really. <laughs> enormous and that's because it was an extraordinarily expensive and large-scale film Ben-Hur was that's the 1959 uh, William Wyler film uh, but uh, probably the film that's most similar to Gladiator is a, a film from 1964 called The Fall of the Roman Empire which is directed by Anthony Mann it actually has a startlingly similar plot it doesn't have the gladiator elements but it actually features much much of the same characters where Marcus Aurelius is sort of fighting to keep his empire alive uh, you know, and keep it away from the villainous son Commodus. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's actually quite similar in many respects. But that film was fascinating because it features the largest outdoor film set in history, wow. which is 92,000 square meters, which is wow. Where quite was it? Large. Where, where, where was it? Where was it filmed? Yeah, like where was that 92,000 square foot set? That's, that's a Some really- Some back lot. Yeah, yeah. New Zealand? <laughs> no. I mean, at, at this point, um, actually, um, I mean, it was, I th actually wonder whether this might have been filmed in Hollywood, but um, at this point in time, there was a lot of films that were filmed, uh, a lot of these sword and sandal films were filmed in Italy, in Rome, yeah. because in the 1950s, in, in particular, you know, Italy was a post-war economy, they, you know, it was really cheap to make things there. Um, there were some producers in Italy that did this fascinating thing where they basically applied to the government to use funds that had been frozen because they'd been um, 
fascist sympathizers and there was all this money just you know for these rich people sitting around and and film producers used it to make films um and this entire sort of revival of the italian film industry um came on the back of that and there was this entire genre called peplum i don't know if either of you have heard of this no um, i'm learning so much Dan. I, I well you know i didn't expect i didn't plan to talk about this this is just <laughs> random sounds, film sounds like a spice yeah <laughs> put some peplum yeah, on that. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm, right. salt and peplum yeah so so i mean it's i mean because italian genre cinema uh you know with um sort of thriller and horror films they're called giallo which is the word for yellow giallo because they're yes, based on yellow paperback sort of okay. you know, cheap <laughs> books uh, and peplum is you know was incredibly um, successful and it was largely because these american producers would come to italy and build these massive sort of ancient rome sets and then the local film industry would just reuse them <laughs> for, their, ah, films, for their incredibly yeah. cheap you know it's sort of these hercules style films that you know there's like 20 25 different they're all made you know incredibly cheaply anyway so this was an incredibly successful genre prior to gladiator and it had really dropped off much in the same way as the western is no longer really a you know a successful genre today um the sword and sandal film had really dropped off and gladiator in the year 2000 really revived that and revived it in a very serious straight-faced way where it's um you know people sometimes describe this as like new sincerity as sort of returning to a genre that's gone well through the um success to satire and parody yeah, stage. And, and it certainly wasn't a parody. Yeah, it's, it's, and, yeah, and this is absolutely taking it deathly seriously. So, there's a painting actually by Jean-Léon Jérôme, who is a 19th century, I think, French painter called Polis Verso, which translates to thumbs down, which is this really gory painting from the 19th century of a gladiator killing somebody in the ring and, and they're being given the or thumbs down. Or waiting to kill someone. Waiting to kill yeah, someone. Yeah, yeah that's mm. right. And this painting was sort of used as the visual inspiration for Gladiator. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, you know, really taking this Have you guys read seriously. that that thumbs up, thumb down thing is is probably not a thing? Like that didn't did happen that. back yeah. in history? Mm. Mm. That it, it's become a bit of a, you know, an urban myth yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, I'm not sure where it started. Maybe it started with that sort of painting. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Is, right. I mean, is, is Gladiator the film... I know some of the characters are, were mm. real, but mm. is it a true account? No. As far as we know, is it all, all fictionalized? It's, it's pretty much fictionalized. Yeah. I mean, you know, the hilarious thing is Commodus was considered by historians generally to be a pretty good leader <laughs> of, of, yeah. Roman, uh, yeah. of Rome. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, not really. I mean, there's- What about the sister stuff? The, the sis- well- Is there any of that going on? I mean, there's- I mean, I don't want to was, put too fine a point on it, but- <laughs> Yeah, there was heaps of that sort of stuff that happened- with the Roman emperors yeah, yeah. in particular. I don't know in particular with Commodus whether he... Uh, R- ruling kings and people in that era were generally very liberal in there. Yeah. But he was he was murdered. Commodus was murdered. Uh, but he was murdered by a wrestler called Narcissus. Oh, okay. Uh, in his bath. Oh. oh. That must um, have been the time I declined your invitation. Yeah, yeah. interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, we yeah. weren't there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never know. Yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, look, it's it's interesting, and certainly I think one of the one of the things that's most interesting is that, you know, when we were talking about before the old sword and sandal films, um, really having this huge epic spectacle to them. I mean, you know, they if you watch those films, it gives you a kind of spectacle that you can't have today because it's just the sheer thrill of seeing so many people in front of the camera. Mm. 
there are thousands and thousands of people as far as the eye can see in these films and you know other films like El Cid is another one um, which is just fantastic and and so amazing to watch and you don't have that these days largely because of Gladiator because Gladiator was one of these films that came along and really pioneered like crowd CGI and created these amazing images and I remember at the time seeing this and I saw this in in the theatres when it came out in the year 2000 I've sort of been blown away by the visual spectacle but it's sort of interesting because it's not the same kind of spectacle because you know those people were created in a computer and that sort of it's no longer I think possible to be really wowed and awed by seeing just a, a huge mass of bodies on screen because you know they're going to be computer generated yeah, the, the next time that I really got blown away by that and it's probably the last time was mm. um, in the Lord of the Rings yep. films absolutely with those with those fights you yeah. know, those battles and the, was it Massive was the name of the technology I think mm. where they yeah. just yeah, can computer generate I mean I, that sort of took my, took my <laughs> breath away um, yeah. but that's mm. probably the last time I can't think of any other film where I've sat there go wow yeah, yeah. look at all this you know? yeah yeah absolutely um, so I mean you know films like Gladiator it transformed uh, I think how we see films spectacle and it's interesting that really it happens via the continuation and revival of this genre now just before we get on to some music i did want to touch on on something that you mentioned earlier which is how it's how serious this movie takes mm. itself like i you know i remembered having a great time with it back in the mm. day uh, watching it recently it's so serious mm. like at no point does it have fun with almost yeah. anything? <laughs> yeah. Like anything. Yeah. Like I, I was, I was remembering it in my head that that um, you know that, that some of the there's a, some cheeky lines from mm. Russell Crowe, or that there's some you know some some fun with the battles where they get the upper hand, but there mm. really isn't. No. Like they take themselves deadly serious throughout the entire thing. Now mm. I don't think that's a, that's not a, a critique, um, mm. but there is something about that film that. It doesn't feel like modern films. I feel like mm. in a modern action film mm. um, or a modern epic, and maybe it's because of superheroes and all that stuff that's mm. going on at the moment, mm. that, you know, every now and then they take a moment to sort of have a little bit of a smirk. Yeah, it's sort of like 15 minutes of action. Here's your joke. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> and I, you know, I wasn't sort of ready for it. And mm. I also wasn't prepared for a, a movie from, you know, 2000 to feel like it was an older film, mm. which is strange. And it's, you know, uh, a marked contrast to a lot of other films at the same time. I mean, when you were talking about DVDs, I mean, Hans Zimmer's um, Irv, I suppose, spans a lot of those key action spectacular films of that era, uh, like Crimson Tide was one of the right. first films yep. that I brought on DVD, or The Rock was the first film that I brought yeah, on all, DVD. All those Bruckheimer films yeah. have a much more sense of fun exactly. about them. Exactly. So, Gladiator is much more serious, I think, in that, in that respect. Uh, shall we listen to some music? Mm. Well, yeah, exactly. So, in the same way that Gladiator, the film was a real landmark for cinema, uh, and it did win uh, Best Picture mm. in the, the theatre was, was released. The score was, I think, tremendously influential in a number of different ways, um, but really in, in sort of establishing and, uh, you know, making the Hans Zimmer musical style the style of really blockbuster cinematic music making mm. of the time. Before we get into some some serious music in a serious film called Gladiator, I want to talk about Hans Zimmer's style because it is very much its own. And mm. Zimmer has a polarizing fan base out there, some who who love him and others who can often be a little critical of his, you know, what one might deem mono kind of 
vibe in, in all his films. Um, but the, the point I want to make is that he is a fantastic composer of motion pictures. Mm. Um, but unlike some other composers, he's very much reliant on mood very often. Not mm. all the time, but very often. And do you think Hans Zimmer has a favorite key? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to guess. I don't know the answer to this. I do. But is it <laughs> D minor? I would pretty say, pretty much say that's the answer, yeah. Or A minor. Which one is it? Um, it, is, it is. Look, um, he loves minor keys. And in yep. fact, he does love D minor incredibly. It's really his favorite key. And uh, I thought it might be fun to play a game before we get into the music of Gladiator. What I've prepared here is 10 uh, sound bites wow. all blended into one another within the space of two minutes, um, which all share one thing. Uh, which is they are all written in the key of D minor. So fans out there, have a listen. We'll see how many of these 10 we can guess. And, oh, my uh, God. I'll quiz you two guys at the end. Wow. I'll make it easy and we'll start with Gladiator. Here we go. Oh my god! Wow, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so much D minor. <laughs> you, you can hear the sort of the development, and I think one of the other interesting things about Zimmer, and we'll certainly talk about that a lot today, is mood. It, it, yeah. I mean, and you already mentioned that, but also instrumentation and and sort of a musical idea rather than a melodic idea at the heart yeah. of a lot of that. And you hear the instruments changing a fair bit. But so, what yeah. did we have? All right, so we had um, Gladiator first. Yes, um, then I we got had, Gladiator. Uh, I did. Crimson Tide was yep. next. Yes. Yep. Um, then we had The Rock. 
Ah, uh, The Rock, yes. The Rock. Yep, yep, yep. Um, then we had... Fourth was the, one I knew. The Da Vinci Code? Da Vinci yeah. Code, yes. Yeah, the Da Vinci yeah. Code is super interesting because it's also got these beautiful archipelago coral yeah. sections, yeah, which I, are I, really I, incredible. I love that score. Mm. I think it's great. Mm. Um, then we had The Thin Red Line. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know that one. Um yeah, that was that, one that's, I had not I mean, heard yeah, that's that's very influential for his other scores as far as like that kind of four chord yeah. Zimmer progression. Right, I mean, you yeah, hear right. it in Interstellar, um, Inception. It's, it's yeah. really like and a working with there. A, a massively different director than he usually would with Terence Malick. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Um, then we went into, uh, I was about to say The Last Jedi, The Last Samurai. <laughs> the Last Samurai. Uh, yeah. Good um, Lord. Tom Cruise's peak of acting there. Mm. Um, then we went into The Crown, mm. a very popular Netflix series. Mm-hmm. Um, then Broken Arrow. Uh, Remember that film? I did not Christian get that Christian Slater. No, I John Travolta. I I've never me. seen that film. I have seen that, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, right. uh, Sherlock Holmes. And yep. Yep, finally, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean, technically, according to the credits, that's Klaus Badelt's theme. Yeah. But, I mean... No, no, no. I think it's... Um, even in the credits, Zimmer gets themes... Okay, but the score is by Klaus well, Bedelt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there we I go. mean, the Klaus being score. a protege of Zimmer, and we can talk mm. as we go along about uh, mm. Zimmer's proteges. But um, yeah, look, I think it's a really great place to start to get a really you know overview of, of Zimmer's style. But I um, mean, God, the man loves D minor, and this film yeah. especially is no is, is no exception. Yeah. Mm. So I mean, one of the other things that we probably do have to talk about right up front with Zimmer is. Well, his use, and we can hear it in pretty much all of those examples, I think, his use of synths and virtual instruments. So, by virtual instruments, we mean, you know, they're not necessarily sounds that have been made by a computer, but they've been manipulated by a computer. They've been done in such a way, they've been, they've been recorded, uh, but then set up in such a way so you can play those recordings in the same way as you would play an instrument. Which is called sampling. Sampling, sampling yeah. Yeah. yes. So, you would record... Uh, specifically notes from that real instrument. You mm. put them into the computer and then you can play them out and hopefully have them sound very similar mm. to uh, what the real thing is. Yeah. But, of course, it then Which, gets manipulated. And yeah. yeah. And it wasn't always this case in Zimmer's career. I mean, he, mm. he, I mean, he's not the first person to use electronics. But no. Like, no, no. You know, you've got other, you know, people around his era like Harold Faltermeyer, you know, Top Gun and those kind of films, mm. Beverly Hills Cop. But mm. Zimmer really has taken it from, I guess, the dorkiness of the 80s mm. into... God, you know, pretty much replacing orchestras these days. Mm. Yeah, oh, it's very true. And I mean, um, so just, I think as well, it's worth pointing out that not just for his sound, but his for his influence, um, I think, you know, uh, synths today, and you can buy these as sort of almost like home level Packages. purchases. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you don't have to be a, a, a rich multimillionaire composer or anything like that to, to use this stuff. Um it sounds like the Zimmer sound, I think, yep. rather than necessarily a straight orchestral sound. And it certainly sounds like modern action films. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Which I guess is uh Hans was the I think he's highly you know, responsible for yeah. yeah responsible mm. for this sort of this uh you know, this love affair yeah. really with this sound. You know? mm. And like you say, you know, there's like there's the Bruckheimer, you know, being Jerry Bruckheimer style of film, you know, which is everything from sort of Crimson Tide the Rock all the way through to Transformers these mm. days. Mm. So too you say there's the that Zimmer style of music that often accompanied those early films and really has risen to the point that it is the sound of 
modern day action films is one of genericity mm. if that's even a word mm. for good or worse uh, you could argue filmmaking has a level of genericity about mm. it in, in a lot of those modern day action films as well mm. um, well yeah I mean you know I mean that's how genre works right is yeah. that it's about the departures from the model and how it returns to the model really is that what makes a genre film interesting and exciting and Zimmer is the one who does it excitingly and yeah. interestingly and does creative things with this kind of sound and it's sort of the people who follow in his footsteps and sort of mimic it without such creativity that I think um, are the ones responsible for the, the sort of criticism um, that, that people make. Yeah. Now, Dan, in this film, there's not only all of these, you know, these sorts of synths and things that we just explored, but there's a whole bunch of uh, exotic instruments, mm. I guess, for want of a better term. Um, yeah. What can you tell us sort of about the different instrumentation that's used in this in this film? Well, there's, I mean, there's a bunch of, I guess, what would be called ethnic instruments in the score, and as they're they're different to the regular orchestral palette um, that make Gladiator quite different for Zimmer and quite different for a lot of film soundtracks. But probably the instrument that comes through, I think, most clearly uh, is the Daduk, D-U-D-U-K, which is a Armenian double reed instrument. Um, kind of sounds like a really exotic deep oboe, I guess yeah. you'd say. Um, yeah, that, that definitely makes a feature. And, and in the film, it's performed by a guy, um, and I'll try and get this name right, right an Armenian musician called Jivan Gasparian. Um, and he is really notable in the soundtrack. And the, this sort of sound, I think, transferred out of Gladiator into a lot of other films. Um, it's, it's sort of a really beautiful sound. Um, I have a Duduk. He does. He's actually got one right here. Right here. Basically, what it looks like is it's just a long, almost like a, like a flute, like a wooden flute mm. in the body. And then on the top, it's got this enormous double reed. Yes, it's huge. And what we mean by double reed is it's the, you know, so an oboe's got a double reed, a bassoon's got a double reed, a clarinet and saxophone have got single reeds. Yes. So, it's, it's two reeds that have been, I guess, tied together um, yeah. with, with a little hole down between the two of them. And uh, the body of this, like Dan said, it looks like a, a wooden recorder. If you ever played recorder at school, uh, maybe you still play recorder. And uh, yeah, so it uses the mouthpiece of a, a bassoon or an oboe, but really large. It's almost like a baritone saxophone size reed, uh, but double reed. And then, yeah, you've got this sort of recorder piece. And yeah, Dan's going to give it a crack. Let's see what happens. Strength and honour. Look at that. That's beautiful. <laughs> Bravo, Dan. You had a beautiful vibrato and everything. Yeah, I know. It was great. Well, um, look, my six years of clarinet have uh, just just been finally paid vindicated. off. Vindicated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I love about that is that the tuning system on it mm. is is not quite Western. Yeah. It's yeah. slightly, you know, out of tune. Yeah. Um, in the way that we think about it in the West, uh, it's. Quite deep, yeah. really, and it's right in that range of a human voice. Mm, mm. Uh, it sounds like someone is sort of, you know, a wailing, or mm. you know, like so. There's a real humanity. It's very to soulful. This instrument. Yeah, yeah. It's almost yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like a, a mournful. It's almost like a whale or baby dolphin singing or something. Yeah, baby dolphins. <laughs> 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 
Uh, I don't know. Well, whales would be big, it'd be deeper, wouldn't it? It'd be an octave lower. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah but I, I think it's such a beautiful instrument. And like you said, mm. I, I can't imagine modern films if if I see sand anywhere, mm. all I can think about is this instrument. Mm. Uh, <laughs> mm. Now look, let's um let's get into some themes in Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Um now look, Zimmer has been on the record as saying that the many themes written for this film weren't necessarily designed in a kind of leitmotif style. Um, you know, we've talked about William's Star Wars scores and many of his scores, in fact, where themes are really attached to people, you know, consciously from the comp- compositional standpoint. But Zimmer said that a lot of the themes for this were sort of just written, just sort of there, and were actually kind of attributed to certain characters later in production, which is an interesting way of doing it. But I thought we'd go through some of the themes in the order that they kind of appear in the film, just to talk about them. And at the very outset of the film, we get what I guess we'll call Commodus' theme. Um, Commodus being the character played by Joachim Phoenix. Mm. I mean, you could also call it maybe a fate theme because it does have a bit of a an ominous kind of vibe to it um, in, in its various ways that it's presented. But the very first thing we hear, it actually sounds like a, a really high flute, but it's actually an instrument called a gemshorn or a gemshorn. And it's later kind of continued on the cellos. And again, we're talking about this sort of, this earthy, soulful sound. Anytime any kind of ethnic instruments play something in this film, they really do have that that sound of 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 history of a long time ago and I think it's it's very important to setting the mood and the tone of this film Now, what's so important about this opening cue, apart from being in D minor, is that it really sets up the the mode via the scales that Zimmer is using. And when you think of this open little passage, it really sets up this sort of, um, you know, sort of scale. It often it even has a B flat. So it, mm. immediately we kind of get this, what we, you know, for music people out there will know uh, a minor chord with a raised fourth. And uh, we can talk about it later when we look at other sort of more Eastern, inverted commas, Eastern music parts of this of this score. But from the get-go, you know, and the cellos is really setting up just the the, the tonality of, of the score, which I find is, is really interesting. Now, this um, Commodus theme, we hear it basically any time Joaquin Phoenix's character is sort of 
just up to devious things. It's almost like a little sinewy snake, um, mm. and it makes him very unlikable because it's not a it's not an endearing music. It's kind of, it's a bit kind of creepy, you know, like a it's whale. It's quite of, cold. It's quite cold, mm. almost like the wail of a baby, and he's mm. up to something in the background. Um, but we actually hear it coming from the film diegetically. Um, oh, oh, really? Okay. Yes, kind of a source music at the Gladiator Stadium at the, what's it called? The, the Coliseum. Coliseum. The Coliseum, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. that one. <laughs> Only the most famous landmark in the world. Uh, um, easy to forget. And uh, I'm going to call it the fanfare for the Commodus Man. Oh. <laughs> you see what I did there, Andrew? Yeah, no, that was <laughs> good. Nice. That was good. Um, so check it out here. There's a bit of dialogue in the background, but check out this horn fanfare that's blasted on trumpets. That's great. Mm. Yeah. I hadn't picked that up. I, I, I didn't pick that up until I watched the film recently. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, that's a little bit from the start. That is interesting so. as well because that's the kind of music as well, that kind of trumpet fanfare stuff that you would get in the other, the older the old, epic yeah. sort yeah. of sandal gladiator sort of films like, you know, Ben-Hur and Nicholas Rosa and, you know, these great- Spartacus. And, yeah, Spartacus, yeah. totally, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, a lot of it's based in like fourths and fifths harmonies. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, yeah, whereas- um, that's not what you get really with Zimmer's music at all. No, um, no. which is which is a fantastic departure and rearticulation of yeah. the, the kind of Roman. And I think you know because the character the whole way through the film he's really feeling like he's the underdog. You know he wasn't loved by his father. Blah blah blah. Mm. You know Aurelius loved Maximus and he's kind of got a bone to pick the whole time. And his kind of sinewy, creepy theme really normally is is used when he's sort of he's trying to get his comeuppance in a in a kind of um, sort of a roundabout way. Here, where he has it as a fanfare, it's like him kind of forcing his power. You know, I'm I'm the emperor now. Bum bum bum. Yeah, and he's yeah, kind of yeah. Forcing his theme through these trumpets to kind of say, "Respect me." You know, look, mm. my theme's on trumpets. Respect me, please. Um, <laughs> but I love that his theme, that that particular little excerpt of his, of his theme, is the most Roman in inverted commas. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, portion of his theme. Yeah. Mm. And uh, therefore, because it's coming from within the film, we get the the Roman music. Mm. Uh, you know that we we. Expect, uh, whereas you know, like you you were saying, is that Hans Zimmer's score is is mood. You know, mm. we don't get a Roman mood. We get you know, a, like you said, a sinewy mood and a mm. and a sort of a, a scheming mood. Uh, so yeah, it's just really interesting. Mm. I, yeah. I love I love little things like that. Yeah. Mm. Um, now, straight after the opening of the film, when we hear that, we get um, the voice of Lisa Gerard, and mm. the film kind of cuts to that famous scene of Russell Crowe. I'm not even sure if you see his face, just this kind of body walking through the wheat. I think it's just yeah. his hands, yeah. With the hands yeah, sort yeah. of, you know, touching the wheat. And um, Lisa Gerard's voice comes in in this really kind of gentle, haunting, um, I mean, her, her voice, like the duduk instrument, mm. is actually quite low. She's, she's, mm. she's apparently got an incredible range, but this theme is always brought up whenever we're kind of talking about Maximus's home, you know, his family, um, his wife and, and, and son. So, it's more like a sort of home family theme and less of a theme, again, more a mood, but just have, have a listen to the, to the gorgeous vocals.
And I mean, that sound as well, apart from anything, is surely one of the most influential elements of this score. Yes. Uh, Lisa Gerard's voice. I mean, it, it, even so far as uh, John Williams uses it in Revenge of the Sith in, in one scene as sort of one of his few nods to contemporary sort of films. Uses Lisa Gerard or just well, like, like, a, like a the female, sort of yeah. the, the, the low female sort of wordless, yeah, almost, um, I don't know what you call that, a... Uh, you know, a sort of a pining sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's incredibly influential in a whole bunch of different films. And Lisa Gerard, of course, you know, so she, you know, was brought into this film. Um, apparently, Hans Zimmer. I don't know. Did, did either of you see Hans live when he came to Australia? I didn't, no. but I heard you went down. I did. It's like a I rave did. concert. You said. It, it, what, it, what, it, no, honestly, it really was. But uh, he he sort of talked a lot because Lisa Gerard came out and performed uh, Gladiator with him, which was fantastic. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. Uh, and he talked a lot about how they felt. Uh, that and look, I don't know. This might be a quote. That, I mean, a sort of anecdote that's been embellished over the years. And but how uh, the 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 score was missing a sort of a a woman's touch, <laughs> essentially. For what a better word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that they you know had a few sort of vocalists in mind, but they got out a Dead Can Dance CD, which was Lisa Gerard's band that mm. she was in, uh, and uh, called her up and and said. Uh, would you would you come in and do some music for this film with Hans Zimmer? And she said, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> she she she'd just what? done um, the what was it the Informer, who, which also starred Russell Crowe. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she's like, I don't want to be the the sound of Russell Crowe. <laughs> oh, okay. And so she said, no so way. No, it's not nothing against Hans Zimmer. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, she said no way. And then eventually was like, oh, actually, yeah, no, it sounds like yeah. a sounds like a good film. Um, I'm sure it's an Australian. She did say yeah, no, as well as I just did then, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but her contribution to this film is, it's difficult to overstate, I think. It's yes. really, you know, significant. Um, yeah. And and that sound that we just heard then has been enormously influential. Don't you think it's an interesting choice? Like when you first see that, that homestead, mm. um, it's supposed to always be representative of when he was most happy. Mm. And there is really nothing happy yeah. about any mm. of those scenes. It doesn't feel happy. It doesn't feel yeah. overly sad or minor, but it's it's very no. kind of neutral to slightly down. Mm. Yeah, 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 in yeah. Mood. And I mean, that's partly why I was maybe thinking that this film just feels so serious all the mm. time. Because even when he's thinking of my wife and child that I'd one day love to get back to, and and he believes we'll get back to very soon. Mm. Uh, it could be that. that I mean, here yeah, they say he's been at battle for like two years mm. and thirty six yeah. days or something. Maybe it is the sound of like he's you know remembering. It certainly it sounds dreamlike, you know. Mm, yeah. If nothing else, you know, at best case, it's it's dreamlike. But mm. I mean, really, there is a bit of foreboding there. I mean, it's it's once again that. Semi wailing, semi not and wailing's the wrong term. It's mm. it's sort of um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know Down. what you'd call it. Um, well, look. I mean, the next time we hear mm. it is when he f- discovers his wife hung. Oh yeah. well, there we and, go. And, and yeah, it, okay. it, it kind of like <laughs> it takes that slightly down mood and makes it even more depressing and 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 powerful. It's a lament. I yeah. think. there I mean, is. Have, 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 the have a listen to this. There's the word.
and that slide at the end there where mm. everything just sort of, you know, slides off downwards. I um, mean, mm. did we actually get some lyrics there? Or is, mm. is are they nonsense fouls? I, I heard that it was just like a language that she sort of made up herself. Yeah, okay. It's not really okay. yeah, translated to anything. Yeah. Mm. I could be wrong. It, it does sound like in the first cue, it's like a sort of deep hum and hear it. Mm-hmm. It starts to get a bit more grating and opens up a bit. Maybe it's, mm. just, it's just a bit more emoting. Mm. I mean, I like that there isn't, it isn't actually a language. Mm. I like that that it becomes sort of unknowable yeah. what's happening. Um, As opposed to like Lord of the Rings where like, sure. you know, there's you research within yeah. research of <laughs> yeah. languages going back, you know, and yeah. made up and yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it's just, it's really quite striking, isn't it? It really is. And, yeah. you know, when, when I, you know, like you said, when I think of this score, I think of, I think of this really, I think of this yeah. sound mm. uh, and yeah, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful contribution from, from Lisa there. And it does mm. kind of, you know, reach Zenith at the very end of the film where it does kind of turn hopeful, but we'll, we'll leave that to the end and, and discuss yes. it later. Mm. Um, so look, next we got to really talk about Maximus uh, being Russell Crowe, our main hero. And he gets, he gets a... Uh, well, really, what is a classic Zimmer theme in the minor key, which with rich chords, mm. um, often heard when he's in a in a battle mode, but we do get it in sort of uh, more heroic uh, moments as well as sort of. I mean, it's very hymn-like. Mm. I, I like to think it could be like a hymn for a, a ship or something. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll play you exactly what I'm what I'm talking about first. I mean, uh, harmonically, take away all the drums and stuff, and it could almost be like a, a you know, just like a, a German hymn. It could be Bach or something, you know. Quite a, a sort of yeah, just a, a minor key classicism. Mm. About yeah. It. yeah, 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 um, absolutely. And I mean, that's very Zimmer, particularly around this era of Zimmer. And I mean, I think you know, and the way that it's performed there, uh, it you know, it also it's got almost an element of sort of pop rockiness to it, just in yeah. the, in the yep. rhythm, in the rhythm. So if you play that again, I'll count you in though. So one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, yeah, two, three, four. So that that <laughs> emphasis on the three is a total like, you know, it's a pop rock sort of, you know, and he does yeah. that in the rock and in Crimson Tide, he does actually bring in a drum kit in three, yeah. in, in four, four time yeah. like that. But you know how I hear this, Dan, is mm. that I, I'm not hearing rock, I'm, I'm hearing a march. I'm ah. hearing a, you know, a, a gladiator, a soldier marching on one and three, you know. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Left, right, <laughs> left, right, left, right, left, right. You know, I'm hearing that. But what's really... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There it is. Um, 
Well, <laughs> I mean, not, I, not quite, I hear. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a much more somber march, I guess. Yeah. It's a you it's know, the, so, it's the dark German the march. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very yeah. Zimmer does this so well. But mm. what I really love about this this version of it that you just played is, and we we might get you to press play on it again, is because there are actually two time feels going on at the same time. There's uh, the four in 4-4, in four, four, as Dan was just sort of counting through mm-hmm. there, one, two, three, four. And then there's this uh, two groups of three, so in six. So it's, um, you're getting this- Almost like a swagger. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of this- like chasing um, polyrhythm type thing. Yeah, yeah. And if you, uh, for people not knowing what I'm talking about, um, I'll get Nick to press play on that example again and I'll count through. One, two, three, four. So there's a standard one. Three, four, one, two, three, four. And then the one in three. One, two, three, four, five, six. 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 Bum, 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 bum. So there's these these two feels going on at the same time and I and I think you have that that solid you know march feel of Maximus and then you have this light step you know which is this sort of waltz almost I guess this this groups of three which makes it feel a little more dance like mm. a little lighter and um, there is also movement in that because the other one is so trudging you know like it's just yeah. it's it's just right on the beat uh, and then that that whole drum rhythm really lightens everything up and, and it, it makes it, it feel it, like there's you know he's he's going somewhere he's striving mm, for something yeah. you know and it contemporizes it as well yeah you know? yeah yeah um, yeah it, yeah it's nice uh, now after they kind of win their battle at the Colosseum later in the film um, we get an even more sort of impassioned um, heroic performance this time without sort of the drum backing it's more just you know a hymn of of the win it's the hymn of the win. <laughs> I do like this this hymn theory, though. I mean, because you could put lyrics, you know, and this is Maximus, you know, yeah. like it's just, it feels like it's wanting. Well, I mean, to me, I, I hear heavy shades of a much earlier score um, by Vangelis, actually, which did oh. have... Oh, um, I think well, I know had, the one you're going to do. It didn't have lyrics, but it, have co- it had, have, had chorus. chorus. And again, yeah, yeah, another yeah. one that's very historical, which of course is, uh, well, I'll play it first and then we can guess. It does have lyrics, doesn't it? That, yeah. that is that is one of my favourite. What's the year? <laughs> that is fourteen ninety two. Fourteen ninety two. When Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I mean, look, you look at the harmony. You know, Zimmer's is, and and um, the Evangelist is, <laughs> and then to C major. I mean, 
it's almost mm. the same chord progression. So yeah, yeah. very, mm. very, very, um, very big homage there, mm. definitely. Mm. And um, even uh, um, the good old uh, James Horner paid respects to it, um, if I can say that, in uh, Avatar. <laughs> have, a li- have a listen to this little um, bit, which, again, very sim- similar um, bits in the chords. Zimmer, mm. I mean, Zimmer has less. Zimmer has very few major chords mm. in this progression. I sometimes wonder if, like, if Zimmer wrote like, um, it's like the Force theme, it'd it, it have like, um, Be like that, like Zimmer would harmonize like that. Yeah. You know, like maybe a, 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 a you know, chord six might be a major, but he just yeah, yeah he really uh, uh, avoids them and that, that yeah you know keeps everything serious. Doesn't yeah, it, I mean, it does. It does. That's the seriousness of it. Yeah. Mm. Um, now, beautifully, at the end of the battle sequence at the start, we actually do get a major key performance of this. Hooray! Um, but um, it's very drawn out, and it actually has Lisa Gerard kind of singing it um, and it's, it's it's really nice and it's that kind of scene where it's, the battle's really gone into slow-mo mm. and you know we're kind of reaching the, the zenith of that whole sequence um, but have a listen to this bit of music because to me it really smacks of Morricone and specifically his theme uh, Deborah's theme from oh. Once Upon a Time in the America, in America. Yeah. so I'll kind of play him back to back and you'll hear uh, definitely in the mood and a bit in the melody line there's a real kind of homage to that European sort of Morricone sound Debra's theme. I mean, I, I've known Gladiator, the score, probably as long as I've really been deeply interested in film music. I think it might have been the first score that I bought on CD. So, sorry, Star Wars. Whoa. But I think, it, I think it, that actually might be correct. Um, but I, uh, I've, you know, as soon as she said Deborah's theme and, start, and played that excerpt, I was like, why have I never heard, you know, why have I never made that link before? Because it's, it's, I mean, it's very clear, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's... 
Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, it's it's more than just you know a female vocal and strings. Mm. It's 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 sort of in yeah. its its mood and. Mm. Can I can I mention yeah. um, Lisa's performance there? Uh, when she sings, so you know, you've got this melody that sort of eventually ends up getting you know rising mm. to a certain point. There would have been almost any other singer I can think of who would have really relished in that top note and sort of brought it out a little bit more. But she almost swallows yeah. the victory, mm. and <clears throat> then she brings out the resolution. Of it, mm. I mean, can you can you just play from the start there, Nick? It's just it's a really beautiful idea that so reserved. So all nice and reserved here. Loves the lower notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah really, so she it's, would have it's like in that la da da. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> she does it instead of going la da da. You know, it. She just holds back on it and yeah. then finishes the phrase off. It's just. A, it's a very musical performance. Like yeah. I, I, it's not sort of you know showy or, t- or anything. I totally agree. And I think mm. you know. I mean, it's worth saying because we don't often get to talk about singers in mm. this podcast. I mean, her performance is incredibly like emotionally empathetic. Yeah. And I mean that's. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's one of the things that I think helps this score sort of transcend itself really and become a, a really landmark piece of music. Now, you know, I don't I don't know Lisa. She actually lives in Melbourne where mm. we're all recording this podcast. But, um, you know, I've, I think she's always had that reputation as as a sort of an artist's artist. Mm. Um, you know, she takes her, her art very seriously. And you can really hear that throughout all of this score mm. is that, you know, there is not a single phrase that's just sung. Yeah. You know, she actually, everything is shaped yep. and it's shaped in interesting ways and unexpected ways. And, you know, mm. I just, I, I fall in love with it every time I listen to it. Yep. And look, you know, we, sometimes um, many people collaborate with Zimmer. Not always are they the best outcomes, but you really have to hand it to him here that this was a, a fantastic yeah. choice to bring her in. And it's it's certainly a highlight of his career mm. to have brought her on because she does add an immense amount to this film. Definitely. Um, now, probably the most important theme in this in this film is one that I think Lisa Gerard herself dubbed the Earth theme, um, and we hear it actually very early in the film, uh, but it's quite disguised. And uh, it really, to me, is it's kind of like the soul of this film. It's sort of like Maximus's soul in some ways. You know, we hear it when he's praying for his family, when he reaches down, touches the earth. When the gladiators win the battle at the end of the barbarian horde sequence, um, it plays there and it really features strongly in in the very epilogue of the film. But I'll, I'll play the very first time it happens because this it's quite ominous and low and the only time we kind of hear it like this. Strength and honor. Strength and honor. At my signal, unleash hell. 
sorry for the bits of dialogue there, but it's, it mm. just doesn't feature on the album anywhere, that particular bit, um, even though it's right in the middle of the battle queue. They just sort of <laughs> cut it out. Um, but the, the first time we do hear it properly is when, um, um, I was about to say Zimmer is praying, when Maximus <laughs> is, is praying sort of for the safety of his family. And it's really beautiful performance on sort of mixes, um, cello. Um, I think the Gemshorn plays a bit. There's some sort of ethnic... Um, harp I think in there or something um, but just listen to the instrumentation and it's a really beautiful theme again uh, in 3-4 in There's really there's a lovely shape to that melody as well, which is unusual for a Zimmer melody. I don't know whether this is uh, whether this is Zimmer or um, I or think Gerard. I think this is Zimmer's theme. Okay, I think. yeah, but yeah. I mean, there's just a lovely sort of symmetry to it. It's sort of like rising up, sort of up, and then and then no, we belong down here. We're comfortable down here, yeah. and then we'll try and strive and yeah, but you know, always coming back to familiar, safe earth yeah in a yeah. way mm. it's and, sort of and, perfect from that point of view isn't mm. it yeah. and the chords go minor um, minor chord and then back to heavy place mm. minor back to heavy place mm. so every time we kind of go up there's a minor chord accompanying it and then mm. um, yeah back back to a safe a safe zone Mm. Um, and it, it does remind me a bit of um, a bit of music in the Last Samurai that has a very similar mood with that that flute, the cello, and that sort of ethnic percussion. This just sort of slightly skewed more to the Japanese side. You know what I think it is with that those instrumentation choices is that it feels incredibly personal. Mm. And I think if you if you think about the context of these films these, you know, historic or older or you know set in a period from a, you know a long time ago, what would be the instruments that you could possibly imagine you would have available to you or you would have experienced and it's likely some kind of wind instrument but a single wind instrument a single string instrument mm. you know um like a plucked you know a lute something, harp, yeah something, like something that. plucked you know and you know these sorts of three or four sounds are very mm. uh folky for mm. want of a better yeah. term yep. and you put those over the top as solo instruments over the top of you know long strings and mm. all these you know orchestral sounds that there's no way people from those periods would have ever experienced mm. it all of a sudden takes the majesty of the uh, you know of the uh, the orchestra and certainly with the the you know the majesty of orchestra on steroids with with Zimmer mm. um, and it makes it folky and homey without losing all of that lower grunt, you know, mm, yeah. to it. So mm. now it feels very personal, you know. Well, that's and true of the film in that, I mean, this is really a, a large scale film with a huge backdrop of the fate of 
nation states, the biggest nation state in the world at that particular point in time. But it's actually a very personal, small film, really. So much yeah, of the is. film is, yeah. is, is in close-ups and on, you know, told between two or three characters, yeah. really. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, that's what the music's doing. It really doesn't, you know, there aren't many moments that it actually gives you a real idea of the scope of the film, is there? Mm. I mean, there are a couple of key moments and we'll, we'll look at those a little later. But, you know, there's, like you said, everything's close, isn't it? Mm. Even when they're in the Colosseum, mm. everything, it's a big old close-up. And then it's <laughs> it's from their point of view, what are they seeing around mm. them? You don't ever get that big helicopter shot or that, you mm. know, that idea of how massive is the, is the time that these mm. people are in. And I mean, that's certainly, I mean, from a film history point of view, one of the things that Gladiator did that was different to these 1960s versions is that actually a lot of these 1960s versions were tied to new widescreen technologies. So, uh, CinemaScope, VistaVision, these sorts of widescreen... You want to show off the, the new format? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, the, the more than show off the new format, these were these amazing, beautiful lenses that were actually incapable often of doing a close-up because they were so wide right. that if you put it right on somebody's face, it would look warped and really <laughs> yeah, strange okay. and weird. And so, you had to tell a large scale, almost like a travelogue style story that was about the landscape and about the spectacle. Mm. Um, and so, you know, Gladiator is a, you know, in the year 2000 sort of takes that, but personalizes it. A bit and more. I think it's the same with that, that example of The Last Samurai. It's a similar idea. It's it's taking instruments that would have been available to, or you imagine, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah. a historian, but um, w- would imagine be available to the people of the time and, and you sort of paste them over the top of the, the orchestral sound yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you talk about this being a personal theme. Um, you know, when Zimmer does use it for a big crowd scene in the Colosseum, um, it's like stamping that, that personal victory of Maximus in a new context, in amongst his companion, you know, fellow gladiators. You know, it's like victory for Maximus, victory for them. You know, mm. one for all and all for one. For yeah, <laughs> those brass stabs are so strange, aren't they? Yeah, they, yeah. they really sound out of place. Ba-da. Yeah, bam up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, I wonder whether actually, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but I wonder whether that might be an allusion to some Wagner influence. We'll we'll, we'll return we'll, we'll to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now there is one last theme I want to discuss, which is kind of like a love theme, but I'm I'm going to call it Lucilla's theme or Lucilla. Is it Lucilla? Lucilla. Lucilla's theme, yeah, um, which is. Uh, this is Commodus's sister. Sister, mm-hmm. yeah. And there's obviously a bit of a relationship going on with her and, and Maximus. So, it's sort of her theme and maybe a kind of quasi-love theme between the two of them. Again, written in 3-4 in um, with very personal instrumentation. But the harmony here is very, it's very static. And um, I kept hearing it going, this sounds familiar. It sounds like a piece from my childhood. And I had to rack my brain what it was. And it turns out it's, it's a piece I... I played in a symphony orchestra as a boy growing up. Um, it's actually very similar to a bit of music um, by Prokofiev. And in fact, comes from his very, very first film score that he ever wrote. Um, people who know Prokofiev wrote a handful of film scores. Um, and it's a film called Lieutenant Kijay. Oh, um, I don't know that film. So, have a listen to Lucilla's theme. And it's going to go straight into this um, piece of Prokofiev, uh, which has a solo for double bass. <laughs> 
So wow. it's really high double bass, later joined by viola. It's very unusual, but um, the harmony is identical and there's, there's a, definitely a mood similarity. Isn't that interesting? I, I think the Prokofiev, the second one, is so fascinating because he's almost um, achieving a, a not Eastern, but, you know, an exotic sound. And just purely because they're making an instrument play really, really outside yeah, of its yeah. normal register. <laughs> and, and you hear um, John Williams do this with, once again, in, in Star Wars, when he makes the tuba play super duper high mm. in its register. And it sounds like bizarre, yeah. you know, sort of, um, you know, uh, horns mm. from a, you know, a tribe or whatever. Mm. And, yeah. you know, it's, mm. it's, it's interesting sort of effect that you yeah. can get sort of West an instrument sounding so strange or Stravinsky with the Rite of Spring with the beginning with the bassoon yeah the super high, high yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. just sounds yeah. weird yeah. Mm. and, and the, the harmony also feels quite static even though the bass moves It sort of has this constant modality. And it actually just mm. reminds me of the Eric Satie Gymnopodies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. number three. That, um, in fact, if you put Zimmer's theme on top. <laughs> suddenly French. <laughs> it's an Alexander Trisplas score. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great. That's kind of, kind I love cool. that. I mean, I, I was sort of hearing it be, be the most poppy <laughs> out of, you know, all of it. But yeah, the way you just played it then, it just sort of feels, yeah, it goes straight into that salty yeah. sort of yeah. vibe. Yeah, that's great. Um, and look, we probably should go on to um, not really a theme, but uh, I guess a... a a moment. A moment. Yeah. A couple of moments. And this is what we'll call, it's basically looking at the battle music and specifically what I think Hans Zimmer called the gladiator waltz. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, all the action music is almost all of it in three, four. All these one, two, three, one, two, three. Mm. And I think, I think it was Zimmer who said that he kind of wanted to, you know, Rome was so glamorous in this film, you know, and had such power. What's the most kind of glamorous style of music? Well, it's mm. a Viennese waltz. Let's, let's make the battle music have that, that, that sort of glamorous... Uh, I'm not sure if glamorous is the right word. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, sort of translating that Viennese waltz style into a, a battle action cue, which is a great idea and, and an interesting way it turns out. But I honestly think that, that anything in three 
gives automatic movement yep. straight away. Yep. So, uh, you know, it's it, traditionally dance music, you know, a, a waltz mm. being in, in three, a dance. You know, there is movement there. It feels like it wants to move on, whereas, mm. you know, so much music in four can feel stilted or it can feel grounded mm. or, or, you know, strong or whatever, but not necessarily driving forward, um, mm. which is why you have so much flying music that can be sort of in three. You have things that can skip and dance about in three. ET's in you know, three. ET in three, mm. yeah. So, you know, the, the, this idea of three. Yeah, it just feels like it wants to move forward. And mm. I, I think that's a great idea for a battle. I mean, really, the this particular battle, the way they shoot this, is I, I wouldn't say it was necessarily a dance, but there are lots of you know, one-on-one confrontations that are happening where people are spinning. They're spinning mm. their swords around. But they're, you know, it's all done sort of almost in a dance-like way. Mm. And, you know, I, I do wonder, you know, Hans talks about the fact that when they were editing the film, he was in the exact same studio, just a couple of doors up, composing at the same time. Mm. And they would go back and forth and show each other bits of the film. And, and then he would compose things. And, and then, you know, uh, Ridley Scott would get influenced by some of the score and say, oh, actually, I'll change the edit on this. And I do wonder whether that waltz idea or that dance idea came into the edit of the battle mm. um, that makes it sort of feel like there really is a, you know, there are all these confrontations, these, these partners come in, mm. someone dies. And then, you know, they move on and there's, it, it's not like you don't get a big idea of the battlefield like mm. you would in a lot of other films. Mm. It's lots of these sort of one-on-one dances of death that mm. happen. Um, so, I think it just works so so nicely. through. And, and again, massively influential in that, you know, the way that the this this particular opening battle sequence was shot is a huge influence on Lord of the Rings, on Game of Thrones, on mm. all of these sort of older timey you know swords and arrows style conflict really it was you know radically different from uh anything that had come before it Mm. Mm. now there's a bit of controversy with the uh some of the battle music isn't there dan there is do you want to to take us through some of those so (laughs) so we've we we, look uh, look actually you know where's a good place to start i when i saw this film year 2000 i was 13 and as I said, this was maybe one of the first scores that I really got into uh, early on. And I was nonetheless old enough to be a little bit outraged in the theatre at age 13 <laughs> when I you heard geek. this. You yeah, I know. And uh, just because... <sighs> Mom, did you see what Hans did? Yeah, yeah. I went and saw it with my brother <laughs> oh, who, 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 did, who also knew the piece that I was talking about, which is Gustav Holst's uh, The Planets, the, the Movement, Mars, the Bringer of War. Uh, and there's, there's some similarities. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll just... I've, I've um, got, a, got a, a comparison track. So, you'll hear the battle from Gladiator and then you'll hear Mars and it sort of it, it moves between the two.
and so on and so forth, really. It's I like mean, Ma- it's like Mars on steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> on, it's, on horseback. <laughs> it's not exactly the same, but it, it's very similar in the way that it chromatically moves. Yeah. Whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, at the time, I think uh, Zimmer sort of came out and said, uh, it, it, there's a very famous quote of his where he says something like, we were using the same grammar, if not the same words or something like that something okay, to yeah. that effect where he something poetic like yeah that. <laughs> yeah yeah where he he's basically admitting that he intended for it to sound yeah. kind of similar mm. uh, and certainly mars the bringer of war i mean you know that's yeah. the name of the movement and uh, it's been used before certainly by john williams in star wars borrowed a little section of it uh to use you know in a, in a war scene yeah. yeah um but i think this this was reasonably bold faced and uh, in fact he he was um he was sued by the estate yeah, of Holst, Holst, Holst estate, yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think they settled out of court. Mm. Um, but look, I mean, <laughs> one thing that uh, I think is worth worth mentioning, actually, is that if they did settle out of court, and this was in the early 2000s, mm. then maybe Zimmer knows something that we don't uh, about that settlement and about what his, his ability to use it again. Uh, because in, in The Dark Knight Rises, we get a very similar uh, similar idea. Etc. Uh, so I think that one that one's much more you know vibe than direct. Yeah, yeah. There's a know. chromaticism of of the yeah. chords moving yeah. through the thing. But it's but sort of become a Zimmerism in a way. I think. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And look, I yeah, I love the battle. I think it's a great track, and I think it works brilliantly in the film. I think it's. It, it owes a bit to Holst. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, fine. And it has that, I mean, the waltz kind of bit, you know, which runs through it is really takes shape when we kind of get a bit of a melody. Um, mm. And it, and it, you can really hear where other <laughs> post gladiator films have been inspired, but it's this kind of melodic, um, quite, quite bombastic um, sort of theme, for want of a better word. And welcome to episode 18 of uh, Out of the Score with our look at Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's really that dun at the end of every phrase, yeah. which, I mean, yeah, was, was used very, <laughs> very wildly in, 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 in Pirates. Mm. But yeah, there, there's definitely a harmonic language and, and a similarity there. But Gladiator was first. Yeah. Gladiator was so, first. I mean, this, this is one where I think it's, it's so obvious. And once again, going back to watch that film again. You know, I don't think I had watched Gladiator between seeing uh, Pirates mm. and, you know, I hadn't watched Gladiator again very, you know, quickly after that until, you know, like I said, last week. And as soon as it came in, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, you know, I think yeah. even without knowing Pirates mm. has yeah. come since, 
that that little musical bit there, yeah. it does stick out a bit. It does. You know, yeah. It's Styli- fir- all stylistically. Of, yeah, all of a yeah. sudden you think we're not, there's no kind of, you know, personal yeah. exotic instruments. Even the Mars stuff has sort of a, a kind of brutality about it. This yeah. all of a sudden, it's really kind of- It's jaunty. It's, yeah, it's a bit mm. kind of poppy and, mm. and really contemporary. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. I as mean, riding on horseback, it's kind of like- Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's got similarities to The Rock as well. Yeah. Uh, and that, that sort of, but kind of put, uh, that's mm. that in, in, in some words, why is this the only kind of fun bit? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it puts a True. smile on my face. And mm-hmm. actually, there's a really tiny bit which is never used again, and it's my actual favorite bit of the score. I just wish he'd <laughs> do more of it. It's this little bit here. And, and that's it. We get yeah. some major chords. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just like, and nothing happens in that bit of film. It's like panning across some yeah. um, catapults or something and some guys digging trenches. But yeah. it's like, <laughs> I mean, I guess, yeah, they're, cool they're getting, little I guess they're getting sort of the upper hand at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting sequence from mm. start to finish. Mm. I think musically as well as the way it's shot. And, you know, I, I think some of it works so beautifully. I think there are some strange little bits that pop out. Mm. And, you know, I, Hans talks about how much music he wrote for this film and potentially even this scene and and you know given the nature of the technology i wonder how much was sort of stitched together mm. you know from from hundreds of other cues i mean he talks about the amount of music that didn't make it into this mm. film that is sitting on a hard drive somewhere mm. and you know i just really wonder whether you know that back and forth between ridley and himself you know in that room ended up mean oh yeah that's cool put that in you yeah. know like because <laughs> yeah. it, it really does sort of dance around um yeah in throughout that entire scene i mean really you could take this opening sequence uh, as sort of emblematic of the whole score and the whole film because yeah. you know because the later battle sequence kind of has almost identical music the the, the barbarian horde sequence yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean you know where you've got the great gladiator waltz you've got the sort of Holst stuff you've got the the, the little Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. style melody but you've also got some Duduk and some, some Lisa Gerard vocals yeah and, yeah yeah, and yeah. Commodus I mean it's stuff. really you know if you wanted to pull something out of sort of the, the gladiator suite it would probably be this sequence yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean this is this is the majority of what you'd probably want to hear in the concert hall. Mm. Um, I mean, that, that yeah. said, there are these other great melodies, which we'll get to in a moment, but mm. um, or great renditions of the melodies. Uh, but yeah, it's sort of an exciting scene. Mm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, now, a couple of moments I'd just like to point out and, and look at. Um, one is the, the moment where Commodus kills his father, Marcus Aurelius, uh, the cue called Patricide. And it's interesting because it's- Dumbledore. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. kills Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah. Dumb- that, that, oh my God. That's the too, other yeah. thing I yeah. noticed as well. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, Dumbledore. Um, what's the actor's name? Um, Albus. I'm um, sorry. Yeah. No, it's um, Richard. Richard. Um, Harris? Richard Harris. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. A few people died just after this film. Who's the other fellow no, who died so during? Oliver it? Reed. Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed died while the film filming. was being made, and this was actually, I believe, um, the uh, um, the first time they like digitally did, did someone did did somebody's face. Yeah, I mean, I've just written. Um, uh, Long time listeners will know that I've written a, a book on Star Wars, and there's a chapter in there basically about the use of digital faces in in film because yep. of you know Rogue One Rogue and stuff One, like yeah, that yeah. Um, and I, I believe that Gladiator is the, first, the first instance <laughs> and it's that scene where um, where Proximo Oliver Reed's character is in the, is in the, the prison and, and sort of gives helps Maximus out and that was digitally done yeah 
Yeah. Oh right, mm. I didn't yeah. realize. No, that. go yeah. back and watch it because you can. You yeah, can tell. you can tell. Yeah, yeah right. But, um, and but, when he gets yeah. killed, they have like a kind of like a mannequin kind of yeah, shivering yeah. with a spear in its back and stuff. <coughs> yeah. mm. um, but anyway, this cue is interesting because going back to when Commodus kills his father at the beginning of the film, um, it's it's entirely string based, and it's it's almost like the only real um, kind of classically kind of styled cue in the film. Um, and to my ears really has um, a, a sort of Mozart Requiem vibe about it. I'll, I'll sort of play you a bit of it and a bit of Mozart from his uh, um, Lacrimosa cue or cue bit. It's really just in those high kind of strings that sort of edging mm. between one note and another. It sort of has an, a sense of something bad is going to happen inevitably. Well, um, Hans is on record uh, saying that throughout the process of writing this whole score, what he actually had playing during his off time on repeat was uh, Verdi's Requiem. Um, oh, but only really? the slow okay. movements. Okay. Um, so he, yeah, he's pretty much had them going round and around and around. Mm. And yeah, I think maybe that sort of classical, you know, requiem vibe has sort of seeped its way in. Yeah, mm. and and later when when sort of the, the 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 knife's going in and it's sort of getting a bit more violent, so to speak, um, it really gets terse and emotional. And it's very very similar to another death from the Da Vinci Code. And I'll compare them here. Almost has kind of birded Herman, mm. really angular harmonies, really mm. jagged, vroom, you know, strains mm. of those of those moving bows. Um, it's, it's almost, almost like knife as well. Yeah. That. Yeah. Like the, the Sforzando sort of you yeah. know, heart attack. Just soft the, the sharp accents. Yeah. And yeah. You almost feel the, the knife going in. It's mm. like a, a more elongated, beautiful statement of Psycho. <laughs> the Da Vinci Code, I would say, is one of Zimmer's most underrated scores. I, I really think there's there's some great music in there. Yeah. Mm. Um, now, Dan played us some beautiful um, strains of the Duduk before. And, um, you know, that that's really... Um, was a huge influence on on films to come. Um, Ridley Scott's film a few years later in 2005 called Kingdom of Heaven, mm-hmm. uh, written by a Zimmer protege, Harry Gregson Williams, um, arguably took, I would say, a more authentic mm-hmm. approach to, to the music. Um, but 
this sequence in Gladiator when they travel to Zuccabar, um, there's a similar scene in Kingdom of Heaven when they travel to Jerusalem. In mm. fact, the queues in Gladiator is called to Zuccabar and in Kingdom of Heaven it's called to Jerusalem. <laughs> and you'll hear what the differences are. There's that kind of uh, wailing to in some bits, a bit of a plucked instrument going along, a bit of a kind of like ethnic percussion vibe going on. But you, you'll, you'll hear that the Gregson Williams passage is just feels a bit more authentic and for want of a better word, kind of older. This is the Zimmer. It's the same idea, isn't it? It's that, mm. that small group of musicians that represent the local instruments underscored with all of these strings and, you know, sort of laying down a pad, I guess, mm. to use yeah. a keyboard term, mm. uh, you know, underneath or a synth term. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of a similar similar vibe. vibe yeah. mm. And th- that use of the sort of, I guess, um, uh, nylon string guitar in the Gladiator track, yeah. I mean, that's one of Zimmer's few nods to the fact that Russell Crowe's character is supposed to be Spanish. Ah, that's what they call the Spaniard. The Spaniard, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, so uh, apparently one of the early drafts of the score included a lot more sort of overt Spanishisms, uh, yeah, right. and they just decided that it just didn't really work. Well, because Russell Crowe was not even coming close to playing anything. Oh, strength and honour, mate. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bloody hell, I'm yeah. a Spaniard, mate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, no, actually, so supposedly uh, Russell Crowe uh, originally wanted to perform Maximus with a Spanish lisp. Oh wow! And uh, Ridley, like, like Ridley yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was, it was that was nixed. Uh, so he went for well, every word ends in s. Commodith, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he, yeah, that was that was thrown out. Uh, so he 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 um, went for this sort of you know, sort of Australian English thing. Yeah, which it, works. That's, you know, it, it does work. It, it does they're work. Not, they're speaking English. They wouldn't have been speaking English at yeah. the time. So who cares what accent they've got? Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. Um, now I like in films um, always seeing what they composers do musically when we have establishing shots of new places. And in Gladiator, we get a sort of Lawrence of Arabia moment where Zimmer um, announces this theme, which is quite Eastern in its feel, um, when they arrive in Zuccabar. Um, and I want to play this um, contrasted with, again, the kingdom of heaven and just feeling how the vibe changes every so slightly. Um, but I'm going to also... Um, conclude it with a much more contemporary film that I am ashamed to say I have the soundtrack for, um, <laughs> which takes it to its uh, its most contemporary extreme. So here we go. This is the uh, Tuzukabar cue from Gladiator going into um, Kingdom of Heaven into something else. Kingdom of Heaven. And something else.
that won't age at all. Yeah. <laughs> any, any guesses what the last one was? Can I have an extreme left field guess? Yeah, go for it. That's not Sex in the City 2, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Dan, you have that score too. It is. <laughs> it is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, my friends, is... Oh, um, my God. I can't believe I got that. <laughs> um, look, it's fantastic. a complete pastiche, but it's... Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's so similar, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> In the scale, yeah, that's... Uh, I think it's Aaron Zygman's score I, too. Look, no, that was just... I was just like, <laughs> what film would be absolutely, like, definitely embarrassing to everybody <laughs> and was set in the yeah, Middle East? Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, no, I will defend the Sex and the City series mm. till the cows come home, but that second film was um, obscene. Yeah. Yeah. And you can really hear in the scales there, there's, there's sort of like two ways of kind of treating these Eastern films. One is like going from a major chord... Um, you know, let's take Lawrence of Arabia, yeah. going to either like a minor chord or a diminished. So it's really that kind of major minor. Mm. And the other option is where you start in a minor key and go to a major, um, but often you'll go up. You know, um, and like look examples like um, Zorro's theme yeah. uh, from James Horner. You know, major, minor, major. Mm. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia is the same. Um, and it, it has hints of also, um, do you know Tchaikovsky's March Slav? Oh, uh, yeah, right. Uh, mm. It's, uh, yeah, again, that kind of minor, major, and just with the scales. One is that, and one has more like a, oh, almost like a Jewish scale. Yeah, that sort of harmonic minor sound. Yeah. yeah. But starting on the fifth. So they're very subtle, but yeah, it's just it's th- those kind of... Mm. Those sort of augmented second leaps that really give it that, that kind of sprinkling on top of, of flavour. Mm. Some of um, uh, Alan Menken's amazing music for Aladdin as well, probably. I yeah. Think yep. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Mm. And like, you know, I, I was watching The Mummy earlier today. Right. Like the Mummy Returns. Oh, God. Yeah. You know? oh. They really go to town in, yeah. That, yeah. in that school. It's a similar kind of big, broad stroke. The whole, well, the mummy in general, um, they really, it's like everything I've ever imagined with a, with Lawrence of Arabia, you know, because a lot of the time I go back to that score and I realise that some of those moments aren't in there. Mm. And everything, so in other words, the most Arabian, Hollywood Arabia, Arabian, yeah, yeah. you know, sound can be found in the mummy. It's like they've, they've just gone full Hollywood with yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. It's like that's licensed to just yeah, yeah. Not, not be unashamed about it. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, no, yeah. no authenticity. It's just we're going straight yeah. Hollywood. And I think, I think the original mummy, the 1932 one, I did, I'm, I, that's just a guess. I think it's those the 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 universal one. I wasn't alive then, Dan. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. Um, it uses um, Swan Lake, which oh, similarly really? uh, plays okay. with minor and major. Yeah, okay. in that in that sort of similar sort of way. Yeah, um, right. yeah. Hmm. Now Zimmer has a few horny moments in this, um, where he uh, sorry, that's a bad pun. Yep, no, um, he. He has this kind of thing he does in many films where he'll respond to a melody or a phrase with this kind of these perfect fifth horn calls, which are often descending, like. And they're always on beats three and four. And I'll play three cues from different films, one being Gladiator, where you really hear this kind of really bombastic kind of horn answering. Um, So the first one's from, from Gladiator.
gives it that real noble quality. Then we go into uh, Inception. Days of Thunder. Cole Trickle wins the race by a mile. Why are we doing that score? Yeah, I mean, look, it's ama- I mean, it's amazing that Zimmer's so great. body of work spans like such distinct eras, and that it was yeah. amazing. Car you know racing, yeah, uh, Roman historical epic, yeah. and like sci-fi brain. Melt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like you know, when I saw him live, as I mentioned before, he opened with Driving Miss Daisy, which is as <laughs> as different a score. As is, I think, humanly possible to, you know, the, the music that he's known for today. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I just for the, for, the, for the average sort of concert goer that was there, I was sort of like looking around at them thinking, what do they think of this? Sort of, you know, <laughs> it's like a really... Southern blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's so unbelievably different. Uh, and, and he started the concert time. that way. He started it. He That's walks amazing. out with, you know, the soprano saxof- saxophonist playing yep. along to drive. It's yep. just uh, incredible. I loved it. It was a great <laughs> choice. Yeah. It'd be like Silvestri starting a concert with, um, yeah. uh, what's that? Cool Romancing the Stone. Romancing Romancing Stone. Yeah. Stone. And then oh, going yeah. into all the orchestra yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, one, one of the other cues that I think we have to talk about is the Might of Rome, which is really interesting. And, and like the battle at the beginning, there's some definite influence from a classical composer. Uh, In this case, it's uh, Wagner. And I'd say that actually this is intentional and thematically relevant, but um, let's just hear is, some- Is this the theme when they're, they're kind of coming into the city and we sort of see the Colosseum and then- Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is, on his this horse is and the chariot. first time, isn't it, that you actually get the those widescreen shots. Yeah. You get those, the idea of how big Rome is, Absolutely. how glorious it is. Mm. Um, and they even sort of do that, that, um, that well, helicopter, it's not a helicopter, mm. but they <laughs> do that zoom in mm. from up in the clouds. Yep. And it's almost presented like you would see it in a museum. Yep. Like the, it's like all these models. Like a miniature. Yeah, yeah. miniature models, mm. but then they mm. zoom in mm. and, um, you know, I'm sure there's a, a um, film term for it, Dan, but mm. where everything just feels grey, like yeah. they've got the grey filter over everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they come into all of that marble and so on. And this this uh, theme plays just as they start sweeping in from the, from the clouds. Mm. So, I'll play you a little bit of The Might of Rome and then it'll go into Wagner. Uh, from the prelude from the first opera in the ring cycle uh, and you'll hear you'll hear some i think intentional similarities and now wagner And I mean, it's quite a beautiful moment uh, in the film. Yeah, it's a sort of slowly noble rising major chords. 
Mm. Uh, I mean, the Zimmer one doesn't have the all the crazy kind of fluttering arpeggios and yeah. winds, but in that harmony there, you can feel it. It's like building almost on that same chord. Absolutely. And even within the within the opera, I mean, it's mm. the um, it starts with the uh, it's the Rheingold, it's the it's the mm. river, mm. and it's sort of giving you the sense of place. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is where this is going to be set. It's sort of idyllic. It's before anything bad has happened, and I guess the Rome thing is sort of the same idea it's like an idyllic version of this city they're coming home to Mm. um nothing bad happens (laughs) there we we Mm. guess Mm. um and yeah i just think it's such a you know there is a a definite sort of similarity between the the moods that both wagner and zimmer are trying to sort of create there absolutely and then you know it sort of actually gets a little bit more (laughs) intense uh as uh, as the scene goes along and we sort of see Commodus being a bit more villainous, uh, we get uh, a reference to the end of the ring cycle as we go from the grand, large-scale view of Rome to sort of the, the villainy of Commodus. Uh, and we hear a couple of references to uh, the Siegfried's funeral march mm. from the end of Goddardammerung, the fourth, uh, the fourth and final opera in the ring cycle. Uh, and so we, we can hear this comparison here. And now Wagner. It's a kind of uh, bombastic sense of arrival. Zhang, yeah. Zhang. It is. Yeah. After well, a build. So, apparently Zimmer originally scored this scene much more um, sort of forebodingly. Okay. Sort of saying, here's the villain Commodus, you know, he's mm. come home. And I think there's the line like he in the film where Gracchus says he acts like a conqueror, but what has he conquered? Mm. And it's sort of this very vain sequence. Um, and so, apparently the editor of the film, Pietro Scalia, um, came back to Zimmer and said, no, it's got to be more, it's got to be sort of more bombastic um, and self-serious in a way rather than foreboding. And so he intentionally, Zimmer has intentionally gone to Wagner here as this kind of, you know, this is how Commodus imagines himself. He imagines himself to be, you know, of the level of a, of a god, mm. which is what, you know, Wagner's ring cycle is about, the Norse gods, the, you know, Nibelung. Um, and and then, I mean the music does it. Last mm. time we see Commodus, he's really this sort of wimpy, yeah, whining little son. You know? yeah. and then we fast forward a few years, and mm. yeah, the music's saying he's now he's now the emperor of Rome. You yeah. better believe it, goddammit. And, and I mean, it's it, you know, it's, it, Zimmer talks about how you know in this great. I don't know if, if you've spent much time listening to Zimmer interviews, but he has this wonderful self-deprecating style where you know, and in this he's sort of like, ah, oh, uh, you know, I really got into the fascist material <laughs> while composing this the the Wagner stuff there's a fascist in in everybody uh, and it's sort of scary how easy I, I slipped into into this material but uh, you know I mean it, it's it's interesting to point out too of course that um, 
the actual fascists, the Nazis, were hugely inspired by the Romans in the, their sort of aesthetic uh, generally um, and the way that they mobilized the power of images, I think. Uh, and so, the, the, the musical illusion is, is certainly spot on. Um, but I, there's one final reference to this same piece, the Goddardamarung, which I, I have to play, which is right at the end of the Barbarian Horde sequence where mm. Maximus says, my name is Gladiator, and then turns around and says, my name is you know, Maximus Decimus Meridius, the father of a murdered wife. Yeah, I mean, father you killed of, my father, yeah, yeah, prepare yeah, to die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that scene. And we get one final little uh, got a dumb or wrong moment. Which is a brilliant musical moment, but uh, and then here we have the comparison to Wagner. That beautiful musical stabbing that's being contrasted with the the low strings um it's really i mean i think you know i think siegfried's funeral march uh is 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 one of my most favorite pieces of music ever written mm-hmm. uh and you know he draws upon it beautifully there and i think intentionally and deliberately making a sort of thematic point now um We've just had the Winter Olympics, so oh, yeah. I thought it would be a great time to point out um, the little Olympic moment that Zimmer provides us with in this. <laughs> oh, great. Thing. In the, uh, the Slaves to, to Rome queue, um, uh, this is bit, it just it sounds like nothing else in the score and just has this really kind of, it's like all the, the athletes are walking out with their flags. Um, and I'll compare it also with Vangelis's music to the film Alexander in a queue called Titans, where, you know, I mean, Vangelis really is the god of Olympic themes riding, you know, chariots of fire, um, but here in a more Roman setting. Uh, and it just, I can't picture anything else but Olympians walking <laughs> out onto the field. Australia! <laughs> Trinidad and Tobago. And this is from Vangelis' score to Alexander. South Korea. I mean, look, all the great composers have written Olympic themes. Yeah, yeah, Shostakovich, John Williams, yeah, Prokofiev. Brian yeah. Tyler. Yeah. Um, and uh, did you hear his music at the Winter Olympics? I did not. Yeah, I well, had was, no idea. It was used in the opening ceremony. Anyway, Goodness me. Good for him. <laughs> um, yeah, and now, now Hans Zimmer can add it to the fold. But yeah, look, it really, it's quite an unusual piece of music, but mm. just has a nice jaunty, yeah, uplifting vibe. It's very possible that the nations you just mentioned 
are actually the nationalities of the actual actors in that scene. Mm. We got Australian. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got some yeah. people who look like they're from Africa. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. There I'm not go. sure there's any Koreans in there, but there they are. Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, now, look, I think to wrap up, we really should talk about the last um, the last cue, maybe the last handful of cues, um, which is where really we get these sort of major themes of the film, predominantly the Earth theme, mm. um, which is the. Um, sort of, you know, soul of the film, if you like, um, blended with um, a much more positive outlook on this sort of, uh, I guess, the kind of the home or the wheat theme that that, that Lisa Gerard has provided throughout the film, where all of a sudden um, she does get some sort of overt kind of lyrics, even though we don't know what they are. And it really comes up with this kind of um, almost like new age fantastical kind of vibe, which mm. has since really, I mean, I, I, think, I think this was, really the nail in the coffin as far as cementing Gladiator as such a popular soundtrack. Yeah. And there's not many films out there that have sort of earned the reputation of deser- deserving a second disc. Mm. You know, you think Gladiator had, a, had an album, more music from Gladiator. Braveheart had the same thing. I think mm. Titanic. I can't mm. think of many other scores that warranted a second disc. Mm. Um, and I think this last kind of track or, or tracks um, really, I mean, you know, it, it was done as a dance remix. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like, I, <laughs> I think the, the best way to illustrate this, and it, it sounds like a joke, but I'm not joking. I once had a, uh, like a, a remedial massage for my back and they put this yes, music on. Yes. They put this music on. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was sort of like, like, oh, you like the Gladiator soundtrack? And the guy was like, I don't know. It's no, like it's just, just an Alice in yeah, a Meditation yeah. mixtape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was, you know, this was, I think, I think soothing, I was in high school. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like how many scores can have such bombastic, violent action music and something that someone literally can have as yeah, like relaxing massage, massage meditation music. It, I love yeah. that we've heard about your remedial oh, massage. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, this this yeah. episode has it all. I love it. That's right. I, I play the barbarian hall when I'm washing my car. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. ends up with scratches all over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So look, let's let's now have a listen to a bit of Now We Are Free. Um, and I also want to play a bit from the film. Do you remember the island? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 which yeah. Um, music by Steve Jablonski, but man, the inspiration from the last cue in that film called "My Name Is Lincoln," um, it's obvious where it came from because it's 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 so close. And here's the island. And you can't help but think, but both those cues, they it's just a mix of really easy, mm. beautiful play, you know, sort of mezzo piano string chords with a bit of sort of emotion in them, a kind of lilting little groove there with some, some ethnic percussion, sort of tingling percussive uh, tinkle at the top. And it's just, it, it just makes you relax. And it's mm. really kind of, yeah, I just sort of smile. It's very comforting kind of kind of ending music for, for a film. Mm. I mean, it's it's like an in-film or, or a score um you know, okay, you, you've got your, your your classic sort of big blockbusters that finish with a pop song. And this is this film's pop song. Yeah. 
but done within the style of the rest of the score. Mm. Yeah, that's a great um, way of putting it. And it's like they get away with both, you know. Mm. So they've got the pop song, there's words, you know, there's a happy vibe, you can leave the cinema feeling good. Because yeah. mm. um, it runs into the credits, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like yeah. Pl- plays, plays you out. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it's the it's the pop song of the- It's very the hummable, very memorable melody as well. Yeah. yeah I mean, absolutely. you know, which we've heard in the film, but in this context, yeah, it, you're totally right. It acts as that as that uh, end credits pop song. And, of course, you know, when Lisa Gerard's vocals come in, it's sort of like the icing- on the cake and it really it really brings you know to, to light that that soul of the film and we'll hear it going from her kind of earthy theme or the, of the wheat into the actual theme dubbed the earth um, and it's a really beautiful transition Just the colours in that voice every yep. time. Like every time she changes vowels, mm. she finds a new timbre mm. within her voice. It's, I mean, I, I really encourage you to, you know, get this soundtrack or stream it, however you, you, you access soundtracks. And, you know, listen to this the way that she sings. Mm. Every time there's a new vowel. You, she finds a different cavity in her head almost and mm. it rings differently and then she changes vowels and it goes back to something else and oh man just such mm. such masterful singing yeah. really great completely agree it's beautiful isn't it so guys I think that brings us to the end absolutely we made it we, we did. made it we made it to the end um, and now we are free <laughs> <laughs> free to go home uh, we hope you enjoyed yourself and if you did please go ahead and press a, a subscribe write us a review on iTunes do all of that sort of stuff it helps get the word out there um, we also like to read uh, nice little reviews and know what is working and what you guys are enjoying and uh, if you have any questions about uh, Gladiator or any of the other scores we talk about um, or you want to request a score, and we've had a few people doing that. We're adding those to the. God, the list is getting very long huge. at this <laughs> at this point in time. But uh, you know, we're not going anywhere, so you know, we're we're going to get around to all of these. Um, but anyway, hit us up on Twitter at Art of the Score, Instagram at Art of the Score as well, and on Facebook, Art of the Score. We we managed to get the trifecta of of uh, social media names being all the same, which is fantastic. But until next time, I'm Andrew Pogson. That's Dan Goldie. I'll see you both again, but not yet. (laughs) He's Nicholas Buck, and this was Art of the Score.